from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 141. Today's show is brought to you by Encapsula, Squarespace, and FreshBooks. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm good. I believe you're coming to us from an undisclosed location today. Uh, I can disclose it if you like, but it's not my. I'm not at my uh, house, that's for sure. Okay, you can't disclose it. It's just undisclosed to the point in which you disclose it, right? I think well, if I disclosed it, then that would be what we call glenning, which is talking about somebody uh, you know in the style of Glenn Fleischman, who knows everybody. And um, so I will and say I'm in Glenn Fleischman's office. <laughs> Thank you very much to, to Mr. Fleischman for providing a, a mobile studio for Upgrade this week. Yes, well, this is his usual setup, so uh, I'm just I'm just speaking to you from the Seattle Bureau of the Incomparable is basically what's happening. But as is tradition, Jason, nobody wants to know about any of this. They just want to know Snell Talk questions. And today's hashtag Snell Talk question comes from Tyler. Tyler asks, which internet personality that you've never met in person would you most like to hang out with? Yeah, this is a tough one. I have met a lot of people, so that makes it harder. A lot of people who I enjoy on the internet and then i have met them in life i had that moment where i went through all the tech people and i'm like you know i met all the tech people and then i thought maybe somebody like who, who's on twitter that i that that and posts things on the internet that i like and i thought oh like uh will wheaton oh i met will wheaton so He's where so does that leave smell. me where does that leave me uh, and i just decided is there somebody on twitter or somewhere that I see their posts and I think I'd like to I'd like to meet them and chat with them for a little while. And this is going to, to- seem totally random, but um, I uh, I'm going to say Stephen King because I think he's very interesting uh, as a writer, and I've read his book about writing, and I would love to talk to him about writing a little bit. And he is a, he's a, a Twitterer mm-hmm. these days. He mm-hmm. posts his thoughts on Twitter like most humans. And uh, so yeah, I'm going to say Stephen King because I would like to talk to him about writing. Good answer. Good answer. Because internet personality is very broad. Anybody on the and internet is an internet personality. And he has a personality. And he's he's an interesting one because he's so welcoming, like in his writing book, which I, on writing, which I recommend highly to anybody out there who is a writer or thinking about being a writer. It is a very, very good book. But um, in it, he's it's very much like Uncle Stevie tells you about the secrets and all that. And you get to the end and you're like – Oh, I want to talk to Uncle Stevie. And the answer is, no, he is an author of all the best-selling novels and is not available for contact from people on anywhere. Like, you cannot send him a letter. You cannot talk to him. He is he is at remove. So I would like to, yeah, I'd like to sit down, uh, have lunch with him, talk about writing. That'd be awesome. Well, that's that. That's Great question. Great question from Thanks, Tyler. Tyler. If you want to send in a question to open the show, just tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk and we will see it. Thank you so much to Tyler for the suggestion this week and well, I look forward to reading the suggestions of people in the future. You'll see it, Mike. I won't see it. No. That's part of the glory that is SnellTalk is I don't look at the hashtag SnellTalk. But I do and I love you all do. of the responses. <laughs> uh, we're going to make this three for three, Jason. I'm going to mention my time zone widget clock again, K-L-O-K. Because in between the last episode and this episode, it received an update, and it now has uh, a, a widget design which is more consistent with iOS 10. 
So it worked. Great. It was fine. Do you remember like the widget cut style kind of changed to like the like the more like the dark backgrounds or the see through backgrounds? Well, clock has been updated now. I wanted to mention it because I love this application and it's been updated and now people because I had people saying to me, "Oh, I'm not sure about using this app because it hasn't received an update in a long time." Well, now it has. Great. I mean, it's like you made it happen. I like to think I like to think so. My, my ego will tell me uh, you made this happen, but logically. I'm sure I have nothing to do with it. Uh, Jason, you have picked your flight tracking application. This is some real long-term follow-up now. Yeah. Which one did you land on? I oh, see, I see what you did there. That was um, totally unintentional. But I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> you had no idea. The um, I, I chose Flight Update Pro, which is ten dollars. And again, it's not the best, I guess, but it, it's not as good as the old Flight Track was. But it seems to fit my needs the best. And it works, and it's not super pretty, but it, it works pretty well. Um, there's another app that is more polished called App in the Air, which, which I'm very really impressed with. And people yep. people can give it a try. The challenge there, I think, is that a lot I, – I feel when I'm using it like I'm kind of using it at their at their pleasure while they try to upgrade me to their, um, their subscription plan. And for the amount of travel I do, their subscription plan is too much money, more money than I'm willing to spend for a, a flight utility that I use a couple of times a year. But it is a great – very impressive app, and so if you travel a lot, I think it's probably the one that you should go with. But it, the, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on Flight Update Pro for now and travel with that. And if I have issues with it, then maybe I'll revisit this. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a, a go. And then the other thing I I mentioned in the Six Colors article I wrote about this is I discounted um, airline apps early on because the early airline apps were bad. <laughs> But I must have had some sort of bad experience with them, and I just discounted them. And I had a bunch of people, mm-hmm. when I wrote about this, say, look at the airline apps for the airlines you use. And uh, in fact, yes. They've gotten better. If you're flying on an airline, you should get that airline's app because they have, they're wired into their flight data, and they can pr- do things like also show you your boarding pass and things that maybe the others can't. And I think it's worth, um, if you're flying on British Airways, get the British Airways app. And you can have another app, too. If you're mixing up all the um, all the airlines you use, you don't fly on one airline regularly. Having this general purpose app is really great. But if you're on a, uh, a trip where it's all on one carrier, then having that carrier's app can be very valuable. I have taken nine flights using App in the Air since we last spoke all about this. Yeah, that's a lot of flights. And I will say that this is the application for me, and I'm happy I paid the money. Um, It has all of the features that I want. My problem with App in the Air is it has more features than I need, and it really wants me to use all of those features. Like (laughs) It's not extra for me to pay. It's like just the features that they have of the application, but they're always asking me to use the features. And you can do some customization of the interface, but one thing that you seem to not be able to remove is the ability to share your flight status with somebody else, which is really good. Like, it's a great feature to be able to, like, share all of your flight information with another person, which you can just do that in the application. But I don't want to do that, um, and it's annoying that I can't get rid of it. And and also, they have this, like, they can do check-in for you and stuff, which also sounds awesome. I just don't want them to do it but they keep wanting me to do those things but for everything else honestly like some of the features of this application are better than what was it what were we using before was it flight track flight track yeah like the the updates and the push notifications and and everything like i'm really really impressed you know like for me the mark of a good flight tracking app is that it gets the data before the airport can communicate it to you 
that's how you know you've got a good app, right? Like you're getting push notifications before the screens update. Like that's when I know that you've got something good and app in the air does that. But it is expensive. If you do not fly a lot, I mean, don't get it. Like I think I'm at like the the, the kind of the bottom level, the people that should buy it. You know, like I'm, I'm having an... I'm having a lot of I'm I'm traveling a lot this year. I'm not necessarily spending more time or making more trips than usual, but I'm taking a lot more flights than usual. So I'm happy I did this. But if I weren't taking the amount of flights that I take, which might be kind of in the region of like 25, 30 this year, um I don't know if I would say that you should go for it. I would say to try out Jason's app first. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I agree and your uh, and your airline apps. I always use those as well. Like I always have them also, but I like to have the application that just has all of the data in it because sometimes you're switching airlines and stuff like that. Sources have told BuzzFeed's John Pakzowski that Amazon's Prime Video app is going to be announced at WWDC this year. Talk about long-term follow-up. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) This this will not go away, Uh, but there really isn't honestly anything more to this story than what we spoke about last week except for a date. But Paxowski has no more information. Yeah, no, it's just it's just that this is not going to be something that that lingers. It's going to be a WWDC announcement, yep. which makes but, sense. But with totally a summer sense. release of the application, though, so like they'll bring yeah. Amazon out on stage. Someone will say, "Hey, look at this! Woohoo! It's like coming soon to the App Store." On- yep. Apple TV, woo! And then that's done. There's more uh, more rumors this week for other stuff at WWDC, which we're going to get to in a bit, but that's one thing. So that's something yeah. to look out for. Yeah, we're starting to fill in our, um, I was going to say our, our WWDC uh, bingo or our draft, but but to be more uh, decorous, I guess I'll say, we're starting to fill in what we think the agenda of WWDC keynote is going to be. It is worth pointing out at this stage, Jason Snow, that we are two weeks away from the keynote draft. Uh, oh, that's a good point. Two weeks away from the keynote draft and mm-hmm. three weeks away from the keynote. Is that yep, right? That's correct. So I, I put right. a note in Todoist two days ago to start picking out the, the keynote draft stuff. So our draft list is filling, starting to fill in with all mm-hmm. these rumors and things like that, which is good. Yeah, start sending in suggestions for our draft picks, like the sensible stuff, right? The rumors that we're expecting um, so we can we can start getting those. So send us, yeah. to, send us over Twitter and we can start filling and then, that out. And we can explain also, so on the Monday of the keynote, I will be at the keynote in San Jose, 10 a.m. I'll be there earlier than that, but at 10 a.m., that's when it will start. Oh, did, you, did, did the invites go out, or are you just assuming? Yeah, invites went out last week. Oh, I totally yeah. missed. How did I miss that? Well, there I, you go. It was, it was low key. It was low. You know, you know how you missed it is that the invites were sent by, um, I mean, it wasn't personal. I'm sure that there was a... Uh, uh, a batch email to everybody who got invited, but it wasn't one of those big uh, graphics with a, oh, you know, come see what we're whatever. It was, I, I got an email from an Apple PR person who said, hey, Jason, I uh, want to invite you to the keynote, which is going to be on this date in this place and, you know, be here by this time and all of that. And that's all it was. So nobody yeah. took okay. a screenshot of the fancy graphic so and put I it up see for it. Kremlinology. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe you got a secret invitation, Jason. It was just you, you know. No, I think everybody. I think everybody got one. I don't think it's just going to be. Well, if it's just me and the developers there, then that's fine. But anyway, afterward, <laughs> we will get together. Exclusive. You, you and yeah, me, exclusive between me and the developers and Tim Cook. Um, afterward, we will get together yep. in the afternoon in San Jose at the Relay FM Compound. Mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> Someone's Airbnb or my hotel yeah. room. Or my hotel room, but yeah, yeah, one of one of those. And we will we'll call it though. We will call it Relay FM Global Headquarters for WWDC. That's what we'll call it. But it it may just be somebody's Airbnb, and uh, we'll break it down. So that'll be that'll be a little bit later than we usually post the podcast. But we're going to do a day of. It will be as close to an instant reaction as we can do. Yeah, what typically tends to happen is I find Jason in the street. We grab a sandwich and then go and record. Yeah, it's funny. You know, after a keynote, I am just so excited that I go lay down in the street and you have to pull me out. I pick him up. I have to, I have yep. to, I have to usually off. troll the streets of San Francisco and then pick up Jason. But this San Jose, year, the streets are wider. They're cleaner. Great. It'll be much easier to spot me. Perfect. Perfect. I'm excited about that. Um, Jason, we didn't talk last week or we glossed over uh, some of the Mac stuff in the earnings. And after yeah. the show, you were frustrated that we didn't touch on the MacBook Pro. <laughs> Yeah, well, I just wanted to mention that. I, in fact, I promised in the show, I said, we'll get back to that. Well, you know, we'll bookmark that for later. And the, I guess the bookmark leads to today instead. But uh, one of the things that we didn't mention was that Mac uh, average selling price went way up and the and the Mac sales went up. And there are different ways to view that in terms of what it means because, I mean, fundamentally what it means is that Apple sold a lot of MacBook Pros. Because those MacBook Pros are higher priced and the average selling price went up and the volume went up. So it was, it, the MacBook Pro launch has been a success in that sense. Now, that's in a pure sales success, success sense. And I think the argument would be, what does it mean? And you could take two different paths there or, or in between, right? But path one is to say, look, there was a lot of pent up demand and people are angry. But people still need to buy a new laptop. And so, of course, they went and bought these laptops anyway, Mm -hmm. but they're not happy about it. And that jeopardizes Apple's long-term relationship with its users. That's the one way to view it. The other way to view it is to say, Apple sold a lot. They made a lot of money. Apple's happy and people are buying them. And so maybe everybody's frustration with the Mac in general and those laptops in particular was a lot of noise, but not reflective of reality. I think the truth is in between. I think Apple did some lasting damage to some portions of its market with that product and will need to redeem itself with products that make that part of the market feel better about where, what Apple's doing. But at the same time, I also think we get so focused, especially those of us who talk about Apple as what we do, we get so focused on the the, the noise of people who are upset that we maybe overemphasize that and miss the larger picture, which is that MacBook Pro launch worked. Um, if you look at the numbers, they sold a lot of MacBook Pros. And you look at the, the revenue and the um, average selling price, and you can see it. They sold a lot of, of laptops. What we can't measure is the mood of the people who bought them and whether they bought them sort of in resignation because they feel trapped by Apple or because they're enthusiastic about the touch bar. We can't measure their customer sat afterward. Only Tim can do that. So we'll see. But... Um, but it was an interesting data point that just from the pure numbers standpoint, Apple sold a load of MacBook Pros last quarter. Yeah, I I like that you put both arguments ahead. Like, And, and I agree with basically everything that you said, right? Like that we do have the, the ability to get caught up in what is essentially perceived wisdom. Right, like that, that we will just assume that because people we know that like these things don't like these things, then maybe they're bad. 
right? Like, a, right. and then kind of you, if you say something often enough, it comes true, right? Like in your mind, like if you keep saying something over and over again, then you just assume that's the truth. So there, there is more than I am sure that there are a lot, a lot of people that love these computers. I know people that don't like them. I know people that like them, but not as much as they would like to like them. And I know people that really like them, right? Like, it's a spectrum. And I don't know if I can adequately remember if all Apple computers are this way, right? Like, when they come out. Or do they like like them? Do they? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and you see people, I, I think one of the things, and I've mentioned this before, but I think one of the things that's most striking about this is that decision with the with the MacBook Escape, as we call it uh, often, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the touch barless MacBook Pro. The decision to market that as a MacBook Pro and roll it in there with the touch bar models, and it make makes it seem like the weak model, like it's a sort of a a, a laggard, a behind the behind the curve kind of model, and only. As time has gone on, I think, has there been more recognition of the fact that in many ways it's the new MacBook Air and it's more expensive, but it's not much heavier and it's retina and it has a lot going for it that I I would say that was a marketing mistake on Apple's part, that that product is a pretty great product and it got it got lost in the touch bar stuff and mm-hmm. and maybe they could have chosen a different way to market it that made it not seem like an afterthought because a lot of people we know including i mean marco armand is a good example of this like really like that laptop and that's interesting to me but they got it got lost in the all the hubbub about the 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 touch bar stuff so um you know, it's funny that it's yeah. just sort of taken time and, and perception of some of these products has changed over time. I think perception of the touch bar has changed over time where there was more enthusiasm for like, oh, I can't wait to try it. That sounds like an interesting idea. And now there's a lot. Everybody I talk to who uses the touch bar regularly is like, yeah, it's interesting. I wish it did more. I hope that there's more in the future where it's, it's you know, kind of gotten pushed off. Like using it didn't make people convinced, it seems to me, as much as it made people um hopeful that it could get better in the future which is not great yeah i think irrespective of how good or bad the products actually are i think apple made a lot of mistakes here like just from uh how long it took them to actually put these things into existence right and then kind of how the marketing was um i don't think that as you say it was completely clear about what these machines actually were and you know one of the things that that frustrates me a lot is like if you're if you really believe in something go for it like the existence of the macbook escape undermines the touch bar right like, you you've basically said that you might not like this so here's another product you know like uh, those those things whilst they're good that you give people choices sometimes that stuff can frustrate me because it's like either do it or don't do it well that that's the problem with the messaging right is it should not have been seen as this kind of dumb uh fallback for mm-hmm. the touch bar. It should have been seen as its own thing. Now, I get their problem here, which is they don't want to call it the Air. They already have a MacBook. Um, and so what do you call it? And they're like, well, it's a, the, we're going to decide that those, those, uh, systems that have Thunderbolt and have the i5 and i7 processors are pro. So we're going to call it a MacBook Pro. And in the end, yeah, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake, not just because you shouldn't have two 13 inch laptops. That are have the same name that are released at the same time that have totally different feature sets, but that your your 
making decisions that have implications for both that product and the products above it that you don't want. Like that product's a great product on its own. Let it stand on its own. And not only not be overshadowed by this other product, but also make you question the other product and and your commitment to it. It's just not, yeah, they, it's a tough, make no mistake. This was a tough call on their part because I think it was an easy call. They would have made an easy call. And instead they had to make this difficult call and, and like try to finesse having him be in the MacBook Pro line. But, and so maybe all their other options were worse. I don't know, but it does seem like this was a, uh, we we can see all the problems with this decision, and you would think maybe in the end a different decision would have been better. But I don't know what those other options are that they felt that they had to give it a new name to release it at a different time. I don't I don't really know. It's a it's a it's a weird one. The problem is that that would have been called MacBook, but that name had already been taken. Right, right, like, right. If the MacBook yeah. was was the MacBook Air, then this would be the MacBook. Yeah, because there is, the, you know, it may have been, honestly, there was just no other name for it other than creating a new brand, and that would have been crazy because it would have four brands, right? Like MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, MacBook, and then something else. Well, they like, they, they could have they called it the 13-inch MacBook. <laughs> they could you know, have. They re- yeah. They could have yeah. and said, we've got a 12 and a 13. I think they don't want to take away from the specialness of the MacBook as this super mm-hmm. thin, light thing. But it's it's this what what is this product? I mean, or really, they should have stopped selling the MacBook Air and replaced it with this thing. But hey ho. But yeah, well, and and that's this is actually why I kind of like I don't love a lot of these cutesy names for products like the you know like the MacBook Adorable and all of that. But I actually really like MacBook Escape as a name only because it separates it from the MacBook Pro. It makes it this weird new MacBook that's in between the MacBook and the MacBook Pro. Which guess what? That's actually what the product is. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough one. I, I feel like this would be a great uh, assignment, great debate in a marketing class because there really is a I there are not a lot of great answers here. It's just a question of exactly what do you want to do uh, that has the ramifications you're most comfortable with. There are no great answers. There's just a list of bad answers, and you got to choose the best bad, which I think is what they actually ended up doing. Maybe I mean it's hard. It's hard to see from this perspective because we can see what's bad about it. Mm-hmm. But it is. It is possible that if we really sat down with all their other options, we would come to the same conclusion that Apple did, which is this is the best of a bad yeah. lot. At least they released the product, right? They could have just not released the product <laughs> yeah, no, no and said product. Touch Bar or that thing, and there's nothing in between. And then everybody would have been screaming about how why is there no MacBook Air class, you know, processor kind of product? And the answer would be, well, you know, we just decided you can get the Touch Bar. Yeah. Because I tell you, this is not what the marketing team wanted to happen. They didn't, you know, they they would say we'll get rid of the Air, right? But it probably wasn't the marketing team's decision. Certainly not. Okay. Uh, have you seen the Blade Runner trailer? I have. Blade Runner 2049. What do you think of it? Uh, looks great. does, right? It, like, beautiful as well mm-hmm. as in the looks great department. L- look, looks, looks, yeah, that, I mean, it looks great. That's what I mean is it looks great. What What's the story? I don't know. I like that Denis uh, Villeneuve, who did Arrival, is the director of it yep. because I really liked Arrival. And um, uh, Harrison Ford is in it. And I think that's interesting because... I'm kind of curious about how they deal with the passage of time and what's happened in that world. Um, we should also say, by the way, just as a uh, as a side note, that I feel like there is a podcast that could be done where uh, John Syracuse and Anthony Johnston 
just dissect uh, our discussion of Blade Runner. Yeah, I just don't want to be involved in it. <laughs> and why we were totally wrong. Well, I, I, I encourage those two gentlemen to record a podcast about how wrong we were, and yep. then I'll just tack that on the Mike at the Movies version of our conversation on The Incomparable. Yep. And which will have, by the way, the Mike at the Movies version will be the director's cut where you'll hear us discuss the movie further after we were done with the episode. So just get ready for that. Oh, you got that, listeners. Huh? Oh, uh, yeah, I got that. Huh. I saved that. Um, but m- maybe Anthony and John would be persuadable to come on, uh, you know, just on their own and record about how terrible we are you to not do two appreciate cuts. Blade Runner. Do the director's cut and then the, the final. Uh, well, the then there'll be the final. That, that's, that's it. I'll do the director's <laughs> cut, which will just have my additional material. And then when Anthony and John weigh in, I'll do the final version. Of the Blade Runner commentary. Cause that's, that's at theincomparable.com slash Mike, by the way, that feed. Yes. So it's like a dedicated feed that we have where it cuts out all of the Mike at the Movie segments that we do uh, across all the other shows, including some standalones. Me and John Syracuse are going to do one over the summer as well. Oh, that's good. And, and including you uh, and Casey talking about uh, Firefly, which is technically not a movie, but we're going to roll it in there because yep. why would we not, mm-hmm. uh, which is going on now. Yeah, mm-hmm. people should check it out because I actually had somebody ask the other day, like, which episode of Upgrade had Mike talking about this is Spinal Tap or something like that? And I, I, I just said, well, it's Mike of the Movies, too. I mean, that's the way. If you're, if you're like, I remember when Jason and Mike were talking about, or Casey and Mike were talking about that thing, go to theincomparable.com slash Mike, because that's where they get just, just the conversation about the movie a month after the episode comes out on relay. It, 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 it's just the pure, unadulterated discussion of movies. So people should check that out. But Blade Runner 2049, I'm really excited about it because it has the look, which is exactly yeah. what I love the most out of Blade Runner. It's a modern action movie, right? Uh, yeah. The music is very similar, which I'm a fan of because I, I think that fits. Plus, I love Ryan Gosling. He's yeah. one of my favorite actors. And the story looks like it makes no sense as you watch it. But I guess that's the point, right? Like right now, you're not supposed to know. Jared better, Leto looks better like that way. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I, I will go see that in the cinema. I saw Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah? I loved it. Yeah, loved I liked it. it. Yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Very funny. And that's, that's, that's this week's uh, movie. This week's incomparable. You can you can check yep. it out. The one that's already already live. Three fifty two, I think. Okay, that will be in the show notes as well. Uh, let's take a break. Okay, I think I think we're done with follow up. I think so. Thanks, John Syracuse, for inventing follow up. Yep. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at FreshBooks. Now, the internet has created a bunch of new jobs for people like me and Jason. We have our jobs because of the internet, right? Like it has created the ability for somebody to talk into a microphone and put it out there and make money from that or to type on a keyboard and make money from that. The working world is different. And because of that, there are more self-employed people than there's ever been before. And when you're self-employed, you still need to make money. And the way that you do that typically is by invoicing people. And invoicing people is a really tricky and annoying thing to do sometimes. That is, unless you use FreshBooks, because they have created a system with you and me in mind, people who work online. They have found ways to build their system to make sure that it fits this type of life. For example, we're all used to seeing notifications in the applications and services that we use. So FreshBooks built that in there. And every time you log in, 
you will see what's changed with your business and what needs your attention. So it's giving you a real kind of bird's eye view of what's going on with your invoices and your payments and stuff like that, which is awesome. It's like a little helper that you have right there, like a little assistant. You log in, you get a little assistant, they say, hey, this person's late on their payment, just so you know. It's awesome. Their invoices are super easy to send. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. I will say we've sent over 1,000 invoices for FreshBooks now in RelayFM's history. Uh, we are we use this both me and Steven use this on an almost daily basis like FreshBooks is the hub for how we make our money and I could not be happier with it it is absolutely awesome FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to listeners of this show you should go and try it out if you send invoices to anyone just go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade and try it out right now, that 30-day trial. Then when you sign up, please type in upgrade in the how you heard about us section so they will know that you came to them from this show. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for their support of Upgrade and Relay FM. So uh, Ming-Chi Kuo of KGI is reporting that he believes Apple will launch both a Siri speaker and the 10.5-inch iPad Pro that has been heavily rumored, mostly by Ming-Chi Kuo, at WWDC. <laughs> What's what's funny? So I like that you pointed out the self-dealing that's happening there. Where it's like that that iPad I told you about. Now I'll tell you when. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, maybe he's got good. He, he's maybe he's got good. Good. Uh, I mean, he gave it chances, right? He didn't say it's definitely going to happen. He was like fifty-fifty for the speaker and seventy-thirty for the iPad Pro. So it's mm-hmm. not hundred percent. Not hundred percent, but they're increasing odds right like and i say that because he's been talking about this stuff for a long time now my understanding is that quo's sources are the supply chain mostly so wherever wherever right. he is getting his stuff from it's coming from the supply chain which really is probably one of the best ways to get your information well once they start cranking up the machine and building products, yep. you 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 know you can't hide that. Yep. Really, or once the machines are booked, right? Like it's like okay, you can get an idea that something's going on. The other thing right. though about Quo's stuff is Quo knows things, but Quo doesn't always know everything. Right. So like right. he may be aware of something that's happening, but I have seen him in the past. Like he's like. 60 70 percent right like yes it was that but actually it turned out to be a different thing right it's like do you know what i mean right it's like oh you thought those screens were an ipad turns out they were a macbook but you you were right something was coming limited information and then he's trying to guess and when he says 50 50 or or 70 30 i i think some of it is right i mean you product announcement is marketing Mm -hmm. it's not it's not the product and unless the only way to collapse it so that product marketing is is a product is if every time you announce a product it's shipping immediately, but that that doesn't happen. Like the Siri speaker and the iPad both potentially could not ship right away, or one of them could not ship right away. And in fact, my guess is that that's where his a lot of his uncertainty comes in is that he knows that the Siri speaker thing is being built or they're planning to build it. But it's 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 not far enough along that he can say with confidence that it will be announced at WWDC. I think what he's hedging on is like, well, they could announce it and then have it shipping later in the summer, mm-hmm. which is why it's so, uh, you know, it's not super advanced in terms of where it's going to, uh, you know, when it, where they are in the production process. Yep. Or they could announce it in the fall 
and have it ready to go. And so he just doesn't know which it is. And with the iPad, I think his his confidence level there, because he's been talking about it for a while, is higher that they're like, they've got this thing ready to go. It's just a matter of announcing it and shipping it. So uh, so they could not announce it and hold on it even longer. But his feeling is that they've, they are far enough along in the production process that it's unlikely or it's less likely that they would do that. But he's, again, he's he's ballparking all of this because he doesn't know the uh, product launch details. He only yep. knows sort of like status points of these products and is then trying to guess at what that what that status equates to in terms yep. of, a, of an announcement. I appreciate the percentages, honestly, because yeah. far too often people will say, oh, it's definitely happening, right? Because it makes you sound smarter. Right, but it's just like, well, you know, I've I've pretty good sources, and my sources are giving me this info. So, um, this the seventy percent on the iPad Pro is because of leaks from accessory makers and rumblings from the supply chain. So that suggests that the manufacturing for this product will begin in Q two, with the with the the likelihood of an actual product rollout in June. Yeah. So th- I mean, so you know, <laughs> Apple has a big event in June. Right. So yeah. why why would why would you not mention this product exactly. and launch it when you're uh, when you're doing when you're that? Especially it. since especially since you're going to also talk about all the great features it's going to get with the next version of iOS, right? In theory, we'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, Quo also <laughs> states that the speaker will the, the Siri speaker will, and this is obviously an, an Echo or a Home Google Home competitor. Um, the speaker will debut alongside an announcement of software development details for Home AI at WWDC. Quote also states that the speaker will include a touch panel, almost like the Echo Show. So let's look at these products a little bit closer, right? Because I don't think me and you have spent much time actually on this show talking about either of them. Okay. So the Siri speaker. This is Apple's attempt to put Siri inside of a box for you to put in your home, right? Jason, why would Apple get into this market? Well, the uh, I think I wrote a big piece on Macworld about this more than a year ago, and I think the most obvious reason is that Apple's got voice assistant uh, voice assistant technology. Apple's got a company that is making audio products, and Apple's got a streaming music service, and Apple's got a home technology uh, smart home initiative. Like, add it up. They've got all the tech to build this product and reasons to do it. <laughs> so it seems like this should be a product that exists. It should be your HomeKit hub. It should be uh, your your interface for Apple Music playback and have really nice speakers that they can say are, you know, they might even say are like brought to you by Beats. They've got lots of reasons. And as an Apple Music user, I look at this and I think, yeah, I want that. I want the equivalent of the Amazon Echo that has better speakers and connects to my Apple Music stuff because I've got a lot of it. And I, and um, so I think it's just kind of a natural. I think Apple also has to look at this market and see their competitors in it, mostly because uh, of Amazon having some success in there. And, you know, if I'm Apple, I'm sure part of it is saying, oh, turns out there is a market here that we didn't really anticipate. And I would also say, if I'm at Apple, I'd probably say, well, our technology is better than that. We could we, we can make a way better product than Amazon can make because we've got so much more skill in so many of these different areas where Amazon has sort of been behind. And so, uh, you know, and it's another place for Siri to go. It's another place for Siri to, um, to stretch out into the home instead of what, where Siri is now, where it's constrained to your Apple remote on your Apple TV or your phone or your tablet. And uh, it just puts Siri in another place uh, throughout your house. And 
there's validity in in that approach. I mean, as as an Echo user, I feel that way absolutely. That I choose to talk to the Echo and not my phone, even though my phone can do a lot of this stuff too, because it works in contexts where talking into my phone doesn't work, and it's more pleasant to do it. So, you know, I, I think there are lots of reasons for Apple to do it. I'm honestly a little surprised that Apple hasn't already done this. That that they that they were apparently either so skeptical of this category or could not get the product to come together that they were out even sooner. But I think they still have, in the end, I think it's early days for this category and that Apple will be able to bring everything they've got to bear and they make a competitive, interesting product here. Wouldn't you say, though, that the timing of this kind of fits Apple's patterns, like waiting for people to kind of work out what the market is and the route is and then they come in and leapfrog people? I mean, that's the thing that is is typical of them, right? That they'll, they'll wait, they'll hold it out, see how things go, and then barge in and make something that makes everyone go, whoa. Yeah. No, I think, I, I think so. Um, we'll see what that product is. I think the longer you wait, the more that you need to impress with the product that you release. So... I, I, I'm intrigued by this product and think uh, that it, uh, you know, it needs to it, it needs to impress us because you know the, the competitors have raised the bar since two years ago and since a year ago, and so now now Apple has to sort of meet and beat a higher bar with a brand new product. Doesn't mean they can't do it. I'm sure that they feel that they've got something that differentiates in a lot of a lot of different ways. Um, th- there are some challenges there in terms of. Uh, Amazon having a lot of links to third-party app uh, ecosystems where you can, you know, drive things from the internet and connect to various devices. And, you know, Apple's got some stuff that they can do there, too. They have familiarity with app stores and with home automation products, obviously. So they can put it – I mean, that's – in the end, it's that, which is there's a product here. There's an Apple product here that they could do. They've got all the pieces. They just have to have a vision, and they need to execute on the product. And hopefully we'll actually see that in June. That would be great. I'd love to see what Apple's take on this category is. You said that Apple have all the pieces. Do you think that they have the software stuff? Do you think that Siri is in a position – that it could just be put inside one of these canisters as it is and, and it'd be enough? Uh, it's getting there, right? I mean, I would imagine at WWDC, they're also going to be talking about the next generation of Siri extensions. Like Siri Kit. Yeah, exactly right. So uh, for their operating systems, but presumably that would also roll out to a device like this in terms of connecting Siri to different places. And Siri's a, Siri's a key part of Apple strategy. So if... I, I guess the way I would put it is Apple has all the pieces in the sense that they've got an assistant. Now, it doesn't mean that they are that they have to just ship whatever they've got and they're good. It means that that's a, that's a – let's take it for granted that they are actively working to improve their products in all these different categories, right? And I think Siri um, – has some issues, but it also has some advantages, mm-hmm. and including the fact that it works all around the world, <laughs> and most of their competitors don't. So I think it's got a lot going on. Um, but you know, it can it could always do more. The Siri Kit stuff points the way to it doing more, um, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. One of the thoughts that I have is on this is why they would maybe announce this at WWDC because I think that they would announce it but wouldn't ship it. Um, and that's because I think that they're going to talk about SiriKit and it's going to be so obvious what they're doing 
right? Like whatever it is they're yeah. saying Siri Kit will now be able to do, it'll be so obvious that they may as well show off the hardware along with it. And it doesn't ship. And it doesn't need it's not replacing yeah. an existing device. So they, they can exactly, pre announce yeah. it by months and months and months. Apple do this. Like Apple avoid the Osborne effect whenever they have an existing product. But if they have a new product in a new category, they show it off. Like, look at the Apple Watch. It was shown off six months in advance. Like, yeah. I think that they would do the same whenever they do announce this product. So they can say, look, here is this thing. Here is this brand new operating system or brand new set of SDKs, you know, or APIs that we want you to look at, right? You know, that this may become SiriOS or something like that. Uh, I think I said this on Connected a couple of weeks ago, um, that they create this whole new way of thinking about this stuff and then it's for this product, potentially, right? Or maybe it's just an enhancement of Siri across everywhere. But, and I'm sure it'll be like a, probably a little column A, a little column B. But they'll say, oh, and we're doing this because we have this and it's shipping right. in September with iOS 11. We're going to have the new Siri in a can. And, you know, but, but yep. they, they don't have to worry about it right now because... I mean, one advancement, one reason they might do it, it might is to stop people buying everybody else's, right? Because sure. Amazon's comes out at the end of June, uh, Google I/O this week, and there are lots of rumors that they're going to have version two of Home. You know, so to, to kind of WWDC rolls, rolls around and they say like, you know, here is our product, and they show that they have something, considering their competitors in this realm are about to both ship V two of their product. And it's going to look like theirs in the sense that it has speakers and a screen on it. Because um, I, I really don't imagine Apple putting something out like this and it doesn't have a screen on it because Apple has screens on everything. Yeah, that, that rumor about, uh, you know, a touch panel on the on the device, if you look at what Amazon's doing, um, I, I, and, you, and then you look at what Phil Schiller said about how, yep. well, you know, the screen really has value, which... You know, you could interpret as being their defense of keeping Siri on phones and things. And I, I have a problem with that because I feel like Apple needs to do a better job of providing screen free, uh, voice control of, of Siri. It needs to keep pushing forward in that because I don't love it when, uh, even when I'm on my phone, I don't love it when it kicks back a thing for me to read instead of just telling me the answer. It really bothers me. Mm-hmm. But it's now a lot easier to look at that and say, oh, what he's getting at there is that there, when they do this product, it will have a screen on it. And that's okay. Like we said about, um, the Amazon, uh, the new Amazon Echo product when it's, uh, w- with its screen, its seven inch touchscreen thing that it's got is, Ambient information and being able to call something up and show it to you is not bad, but the challenge is to not force you to look at the screen every time you interact with the yeah, product. And that's my question for this is that Apple has to work on this because Siri needs to be better at not just kicking you to the screen when it fails. And uh, it needs to fail less and it needs to use its voice more because that's why I'm talking to it is I want to hear it talk. I don't interact – Maybe other people are, are not like this, but I don't interact with Siri expecting the relationship to be I talk and it shows me things on the screen. I expect it to answer me. In all contexts, I expect it to answer me, or mm-hmm. almost all contexts. And I feel like it falls down there a lot. So that's that's my fear about Apple doing a product like this with, with a screen, is if the screen is there to provi- provide extra information and extra context, great. If it's there to serve as the place things get punted when Siri fails and they've got to give up, then I will be disappointed in that product. So we'll see. Let's talk about a 10.5-inch iPad Pro. So 
If iOS 11 follows the iOS 9 model of an iPad-heavy software release, which we are secretly hoping, sure. uh, showing off a super sexy, amazing iPad would kind of be the cherry on the cake of it all, right? Is that what you British people say, the cherry on the cake? Um, we say the icing on the cake. Yeah, I think cherry, on, cherry top. on top of the sundae. Cherry on top, icing on the cake. But imagine it's so good, they put icing on the cake and then put a cherry on top of it. That's what <laughs> they I'm dump a, at, They course. dump a sundae on top of the icing and then yeah. they put a cherry on top of that. Yep. And it's, it's just, okay, got it. All that right, that's pretty awesome. That sounds pretty okay. tasty, right? Clear. So that would make sense, right? Like in that idea, it's like, okay, so they're showing their, inc- their like increased commitment to the iPad with, look how beautiful this device is. But would you show this beautiful device three months before iOS 11 ships? And if you do, when does this product go on sale, right? Quo is saying June. So then you would show off all the amazingness of iOS 11 for the iPad, which I'm sure it's going to be, right? Come on, please, please, please. Uh, And then you say it's going to look great on our new device. But then the new device runs the old software. Do you think that they would do it that way? Yeah, I think it's okay. Yeah. I think it's okay. I think the reason is just as they um, showed off the multitasking stuff and said, well, this works on the iPad Air too. <laughs> right. Okay. And yep. then in the fall, they're, they're like, and this big iPad Pro also. <laughs> right. I think they could, I think they can get away with it because it's part of the larger story. I think right, they can get away right. with it because they've got existing products that take advantage of this. They say, look at all these great features for the iPad Pro. Look at all these things that it'll be able, the iPad Pro already does. Here's what it'll be able to do this fall with iOS 11. The iPad Pro is getting more and more awesome. And you know how, how awesome it's getting? It's also getting a new iPad Pro that's also awesome and will get even more awesome in the fall, then, right? In I the think, fall, they could release a, an updated version of the big one, right? It, they, they could indeed. Um, so I think that, I think it's all one of a kind. I mean, I, yes. Ideally, would you like to drop that brand new iPad and iOS 11 together? Yeah, I guess, I guess ideally you would. At the same time, you know, if you've got it ready now, why not put it out now? And, uh, for developers, that'll be great because they'll be able to get it and start working on iOS 11 betas with the new iPad. Um, if there are new features that will be enabled on that new iPad, I, I'm assuming it will be more or less the same as the iPad Pro, um, 12.9 right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh yeah i mean so is it is it ideal eh, maybe not but is it well i'll put it another way too is is it's it's letting them have two things for i mean ios 11 is going to ship anyway and 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 that's gonna they're gonna be able to make hay with that so they could launch it then or they could launch it now and they're gonna get attention to a certain degree either way. I don't think people are going to not buy it in June because they heard about this great feature that they're not going to have until September. But it may also be that from a pure production standpoint, they want the iPads being shipped, being built now before they start building all those, all those iPhones. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I Honestly, I think that this product should have been out by now, but there's been issues for whatever reason. So they've right. had to push it back, but then they don't want to do them all in September. Yeah, exactly right. So if you imagine that, then then it would have come out in the spring, and the the case would have been, look at all the awesome features we have in iOS already, and then they would come to WWDC and say, and look, there's more. But having a bigger, broader iPad story to developers at WWDC, it's not a bad thing. So may not, maybe not ideal, but I think they would do it. I don't think they're going to hold on to this product because there are features coming in a future operating system that are going to make it even better. I just don't think they're going to do it. 
so putting it on this stage, one of the reasons, a couple of reasons it makes sense to me. Um, one, you are enforcing your, like the encouragement for developers to, to develop for this platform, right? Like you're like, look how great this product is. People love the iPad. You should make great iPad apps, right? I think that that's part of it. The uh-huh. other would be um, by kind of having having the iPad Pro debut at this event bundles it into a bigger event that has more eyes on it, which is exactly what they did for the 12.9. They they announced it with an iPhone event. Um, it was out of cycle for, for when they would release iPads, right, like six months b- before we would have expected it. And I believe they did it then because they wanted more people to see the product. And I think that they'll do that here. There's a chance to do it here. Just this is not the, this is not necessarily the place for iPad hardware, WWDC. But if you want a lot of people to see it, well, that's a way to do it. So, yeah, it's a big stage. Why not? Why not use it? So it's not unusual for Apple to show hardware at WWDC. It's not uh, every time, but it has happened before. And uh, in the 9 to 5 Mac article, which I've put in the show notes, they, they detailed a couple of times that they've done this like for, in recent times. Like the Retina MacBook was unveiled in 2012 and actually went on sale. Uh, the yeah. Mac Pro, of course, famously was previewed in 2013. So Apple does have a history of showing off hardware that's relevant to this audience. So as I said, right, like if you're trying to get people to develop for the iPad, showing them this iPad might be a good way to do that. Um, and also, you know, if you are wanting to have people develop for Siri, showing them a Siri speaker, same kind of deal. Yeah, I, exactly right. I, the I, best way I can put it is that hardware is never required at WWDC. And when people get really excited about har- new hardware uh, that's being rumored and they see WWDC on the schedule, they're like, oh, well, that's when they'll announce it. And it's not, no, it's not required. No, never required, but it's always nice. But if you've got it ready, mm-hmm. that's one thing. And if it's something that you can fit into the story you want to tell the developers. Yeah, exactly. So, fingers crossed, we're only, oh my god, we're just three weeks away. Three weeks it. away, I know, it's hard to believe. It's already creeping up on me. This week's yeah. episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter the offer code UPGRADE at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace because they give you all of the tools that you need to create a website for your next idea. You can get a unique domain name, you can take advantage of award-winning beautiful templates and more. Squarespace is well my favorite I tell you what my favorite thing about Squarespace is its flexibility. If you have something that you want to build, you can find a way to make Squarespace work for you because they have so many plugins and pieces of functionality that you can turn on and turn off depending on what you need. If you want to sell stuff, they have an online store. If you want to create a blog, they have tools for that. If you want to create a gallery of your photos or artwork, they have that. If you want to put in a music player for the music that your band's making, they can do that. And again, you can sell it there if you want as well, physical or digital with their store functionality. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just about anything Thing you want um, i have run <laughs> i've run a podcast network on squarespace i've run blogs on squarespace um, i've run landing pages on squarespace i have a store on squarespace right now like i've used it for so many things over like the last six or seven years I've, I know I've forgotten some of the stuff that I've used it for. Like me and Adina, we're getting married next year. We're going to set up a Squarespace website with all the information that we need to give our guests. Squarespace is incredibly flexible. The uses that you can put it through are just endless. 
They have amazing 24-7 customer support. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed, no no thinking about your hosting. It's all there if you need it and you can take advantage of any of it. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. You can sign up for a free trial with no credit card required. Just go to squarespace.com. You can start playing around with it immediately. It's it's unrestricted. You can just go in and just try it out. You can tinker with the templates. You can set it up just as you want before you even sign up for a plan. But when you do, use the offer code UPGRADE and you'll get 10% of your first purchase and show your support for this show. Thank you to Squarespace for supporting Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. All right. Two weeks ago, um, Tim Cook uh, had an interview with Jim Cramer on CNBC. And in that interview, he announced that Apple will be investing a billion dollars into a U.S. advanced manufacturing fund. This is what Tim said. We're really proud to do it. And by doing that, we can be the ripple in the pond. Because if we can create many manufacturing jobs around, those manufacturing jobs create more jobs around them. Because you have a service industry that builds up. Um, also, whilst talking about all of this stuff, Cook couldn't help but mention his favorite topic. He says, it's $1 billion of our U.S. money, which we've had to borrow to get, but that's another whole topic. He's talking about tax reform because uh, Tim can't help himself, right? If you put Tim in a financial situation, he will complain about tax reform. And then uh, last week, Apple announced the first recipient of money from its advanced manufacturing fund, and that's Corning. Corning is the company responsible for Gorilla Glass, and Gorilla Glass is what's in all of the phones everywhere, right? It is the strong glass that doesn't break and doesn't scratch, to a point, of course. Yep. Uh, Corning are going to receive $200 million of the $1 billion fund, Um, And from Apple's press release, they say that this is part of the company's commitment to foster innovation among American manufacturers. He's talking about Apple there. And that this investment will support Corning's R&D, capital equipment needs, and state-of-the-art glass processing. Right. For people who don't know, the Gorilla Glass is made in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And the product exists basically because Apple wanted uh, glass and Steve Jobs wanted glass and not plastic on the first iPhone. Yep. And this was a concept technology that they put into a real product i think for the first time with the iphone and so that that all that is all made in kentucky it's one of these examples of a a u.s sourced part for a product that's assembled in china but actually has a bunch of pieces that are from the u.s yep but and now quanting is huge because you know apple helped and as i say like all phones, all tablets you know so many computers like so much stuff is using this glass now because it's that good now I've been digging around for the best that I can out of this, and it doesn't seem like Apple actually get anything. So the word investment is interesting (laughs) to me here. Well, yeah. Because it's not an investment in the sense that we know, and and I think investment is being used quite generously here. I think it's being used – what strikes me is it's being used in the – in a politics sense, which yes. is... it's an investment in the country. We need to make an investment in education. We need to invest in our future. And how do we do that? We, we spend money. We pay for things. Yep. And think that it will come back to us in some way that is beneficial. But it's more... It strikes me... Now, two things. So, it's, so is it maybe more of a metaphorical investment than that they're buying companies or investing in companies? Yep. Or is it that they will get something out of it 
but it, it the point is to show that they're laying out cash in the U.S. That they're so spending a billion dollars in cash in the U.S. I, and I think I think that's exactly right. I think it's I think it's they want to be publicly seen as spending a billion dollars on ca- uh, on stuff in the U.S. A billion U.S. dollars, and they want to make that part of their long-standing sort of like look how many jobs we create and look how important Apple is because Apple wants to keep reminding people in the United States that they are an American company and that they generate a lot of business in the United States and that just because they make their phones in in Asia does not mean that they are not uh, generating jobs at home. And that's for political reasons to keep the heat off or make people a little less angry when Apple does other stuff. And then also, yeah, I assume that for the $200 that Apple's giving to Corning, that that Corning is doing something for Apple. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. I mean, look... A company walks up to you with two hundred million dollars. They don't get any of your company in return. What they do get is something special. Well, it's something like, okay, go build that factory. Here's two hundred million. Go build that factory for for our product. Yeah, we're going to tell you what you're spending this on, and you're spending this on this. You know, or you know that yeah. idea that we spoke about a long time ago. That new type of glass we want to make that wraps around people's faces. This is what <laughs> this two hundred million dollars is for, and and you'll pay us back. Yeah. over time after it's up and running but this will give you the money to go build that huge capital investment that you're building for us i mean i think that happens a lot in in chip manufacturing too where you have you know a company will say and apple did this famously with a bunch of computer controlled tools for building iphones and things where they they basically told a company here build all of them and that company couldn't build them for anyone else because they were building for Apple. And sometimes Apple does that where it's like, here, build a factory for us. And they're like, we can't afford to build a new factory. And they're like, here's the money. Go build us the factory. That was that Sapphire company, right? Who? Oh, yes. The famous falling apart the, in Arizona, yeah. the, the Sapphire, uh, the, the artificial Sapphire. Where thing. it was yeah. this deal. Exactly. Apple, I think, came to them and told them, we want to use this thing, build all the stuff. They couldn't make it to Apple specifications. So then Apple just moved away. Yeah, um, and then the company I think went bankrupt because they couldn't afford the machines that they built, and yeah. nobody wanted the Sapphire because it wasn't good <laughs> enough. So, I mean, I assume that as you've kind of said, what this does is it it puts Apple around the table with Corning in an enhanced way, right? It's like we gave you all this money, so now we're going to work on this new project together. And also at the same time, they get to look good in the eyes of Washington. And yep. really, I, I mean, you look at it, right? It's like, I, I'm interested to see where the rest of this money goes. But a huge percentage of it has gone to Corning. It's a, it's a billion dollars and they've just received yeah, 200 million of it, of it. Is it Corning? And I expect that there will be maybe one or two more of these and then a lot of little ones. Maybe and maybe there'll just be four more of these. It could I be. Know. I just don't know if there are enough companies that in the US that Apple use so extensively that it could give such huge amounts of money to. Right? That, that that's one like I can't think of what they are. Maybe I don't well, know enough, but I've seen some speculation that Apple is trying to create um is trying to use this money to create supply chains, little baby supply chains mm-hmm. in the US. There's nothing to say all- that this money actually has to go to other companies either. Right, like right. they could say that we're spending five hundred million of this on our own factory. Right, and and, right? Then, and then we expect that. Well, and I think that's the the also the issue is like the idea is if you put some money in and say okay, there's money in this location in in Kentucky or in Austin, Texas or wherever, um, there's money here. 
if you're trying to build up a supply chain of other companies, just like with like uh, car factories and things, they will they will if there's money there and opportunity to feed the big factory, other businesses will start to pop up to take advantage of it. And I think that that's one of the one of the at least political speculations that I've seen is this is a way to counteract some criticism of Apple building so much stuff in Asia is to say, you know, they've, they've said there's no supply chain in the U.S. This is a way to say, look, we're investing in the U.S. and trying to get some sort of supply chain uh, starting to develop here involving and that involves education. But what's the goal of this? The end goal of this is not just a blunt criticism of Apple politically, but it's also to get Apple to make its case that they want uh, they want that corporate tax holiday so that they can bring their cash back from overseas at a lower tax rate. And their argument is, if you bring it back, we'll spend it in America. Because right now what they're doing is borrowing yep. money in the U.S. rather than move their money back and pay taxes on it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we just built this facility, but we can't run it. We can't afford to run it because our money, we can't bring <laughs> it back. Let us bring our money back. Apple have also created a new page on their website. It's called uh, apple.com slash job hyphen creation. Um, and they're touting 2 million US jobs have been created by Apple and counting. And this is uh, the page opens with this this kind of paragraph of text. Apple is one of the biggest job creators in the United States, responsible for 2 million jobs in all 50 states. Last year, we spent over $50 billion of more than 9,000 US suppliers and manufacturers. Since we launched the App Store in 2008, US developers have earned over $16 billion in the apps, in App Store sales worldwide, and we're just getting started. They have a ton of information on this site, including a quite cool breakdown state by state of all the people that they employ and people in the App Store ecosystem. So, you know, these these 2 million US jobs, they're not Apple employees, right? Like, right. these are Apple employees plus people who make money because of Apple. Um, they should maybe include me and you in this, but yeah, I don't think that us. they are. Uh, we are a part well, of not, this. You're job not creation. a US job. Come on. You're out It's outsourced. a US company. I know. It's US true. US company. It is true. Relay is a U.S. company. Yeah, I, I export Britain. my voice to the United States. Oh, nice. I'm an import. I'm an import. I'm surprised. I'm surprised they haven't taxed your voice yet. They do. Why are they doing all of this then? Right? Like, I, I, I think that this job creation page says it maybe even more than the the billion dollars is that they are maybe trying to keep Trump at bay here. President Trump has said in many. In many avenues about keeping things in America, right? Like he's he's very very incensed on keeping things in America production wise. Are they maybe trying to do this to 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 look favorable there? Maybe are they trying to do it to uh, get a favor in return? In the Kramer interview, Cook spoke about his relationship with Donald Trump. He said, "You know, my view on working with any government in the world is that there are things you will agree upon and things that you will not." I think with each administration in every country of the world, there are things you disagree and things you agree. And you look to find common ground and try to influence the things that you don't. If you don't show up, I think that's the worst scenario because then you're quiet and this doesn't do your cause any good or your point of view any good. Roughly translated, this says to me, we're given a little to get something back. Yeah, and that we're engaging with uh, somebody who we disagree with on a lot of issues because... Uh, if you just abandon the field, it will, it will, you will not be able to play the game and make and influence policy. And I think that's, I think that's true. Um, I think, I think also as a business, like you can't just make your political views, uh, destroy your business because you've, you, you've, uh, spited the people in, in power. It, it, it's a challenge, um, 
So he's trying to walk that line of saying, look, we, this allows us to, if we're in the room, we can talk about things that we, that, that matter to us. And does that mean that down the road, if there's an issue with uh, the FBI wanting, uh, wanting Apple to build a special version of their operating system that, that uh, can decrypt information on phones and Apple says no again, does it help if Apple has a working relationship with the administration and can say, look, you know, we're playing ball with you guys. This is this is too far. Whereas if they if they spite them, then they don't have the relationship. They don't get the chance to make that case. I think that's all true. I do think that at the end of the day, this is Apple uh, making its its a uh, yes. We're a good citizen, and also please let us bring our money back into the U.S. at a lower tax rate. I, th- I think that that's just it's part of the game because that's a lot of cash they've got out there outside the U.S. and they would like it back. And they would like to spend it in the U.S., but they would not. They do not like that enough to pay the tax current tax rate on it. And that's true of a lot of companies right mm-hmm. now. So, I don't know. It's it's this is complicated stuff. Apple. This is one of those cases where we have to look at the size of Apple as a company and its importance in the world uh, economically and how it is in all these different countries and has to navigate all of these different issues. And this is one of those cases where Apple is trying very hard to. Uh, navigate the American political waters. So I think ultimately, ultimately, this is this is a good thing. I think um, if it's helping, basically, it's it's Apple putting some money that it has in its insanely large war chest back into helping people and helping other companies, which is probably a good thing. And if you know, we can take Cook's comments at face value um let's remove the tax thing from this because i'm not actually sure if like if that's good or bad honestly like from a regular person level it's like tax no tax like you know i don't i don't care i don't care how much tax apple pays honestly like it doesn't affect my life um but if they're able to to try and get a better relationship with the government so they can more easily ward off these fbi type things right that's a good thing in my kind of column of good and bad, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I, I think it's. I suspect it's more about the money, but so uh, <laughs> do I. But like, the, my point on that is like, it's okay, good for you. Like, I, I really don't know. I, this, this really upsets him, but I, I don't think that it, it behooves him to keep talking about this so publicly. It's like, oh, oh no, you had to borrow. Like, you look, you borrowed that money because you wanted to. You definitely have a billion dollars on hand in the U.S. Yeah. I, I will not believe that, right? Like, you, you borrowed that to make a point. I don't know. They, no, it's, they, they do borrow money in the U.S. regularly. That's one of the things that they do. You can hear it on the analyst calls. They, bar- they borrow it in the All companies do this, right? Like, whether they have the cash or not, there yeah. are benefits, and it's probably tax-related again. But this, on is one, but this is one of the reasons is that they wouldn't have to borrow it if that money was in the U.S. as cash, but a lot of it's outside, so they just borrow in the U.S. It's not a big deal, but it is something that they do. Um, I, I, I do think it's uh, it's largely about the money, but I think it is also about public perception of Apple and all those stories. I think it's about the stories about the Chinese factories and the conditions in the factories and all of that, because that not only does that reflect negatively on Apple in the in the sense of the bad conditions there that that get reported every now and then, but I think it also reflects negatively on Apple because it reminds everybody that Apple is making things in China, and when you've got people in America who are upset that jobs are are leaving the United States, then it's a reminder that Apple is one of those companies that's doing that. Now, of course, I would say. Obviously, like Apple has so many people that they employ in the United States building these products, making these products, designing these products. But 
that that's so it's PR, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it is PR for a few reasons. It's to make customers feel better about Apple. It's to make politicians feel better about Apple. And it's about Apple being able to be seen as an upstanding citizen. So when they say, like, just like when Tim Cook talks about how much tax they pay, they say, you know, we're one of the biggest taxpayers in the United States or the biggest taxpayer in the United States. Um, when they're, when they're being bashed for, uh, hiding money in Ireland and uh, and and keeping money overseas when they could bring it home and pay taxes, it allows them to have a counter to that. So it is a it is a, a marketing and PR kind of front for them in terms of political and uh, and, and consumer marketing. And that's just yeah, and that's that's what they're that's the game they're playing because they really 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 want to repatriate their money at a lower tax rate, which Mm -hmm. is a game that the current administration, I mean, this is the thing. It's a game the current administration, I think probably wants to play. Uh, but they're, they're, um, and honestly, this is, this is the sort of thing that allows the current administration to say, see, see the progress we're making because Apple has announced this $1 billion fund. And that's part of the game too, politically. I'm going to say a thing. Uh Oh, I'm going to say a thing. When I say this thing, don't, Take it at face value. Do you think? Do you, do you have an idea of what I'm going to say here about this yeah. whole thing? Uh huh. I cannot see this happening under Steve Jobs. All of this, I just don't see it. I'm not saying that it's bad or worse. I'm just saying, like, looking at Apple doing something like this, I just cannot see. Steve doing this. Well, I I think the look at how altruistic we are thing is more a Tim Cook thing than a Steve Jobs thing. Yeah, I mean I've said in many many places and I'll say it here again, Apple is a better company like as what a company should do and be under Tim from charitable to just playing the company game which it should. It's better under him. The changes they made like as soon as Steve was gone in terms of uh, corporate giving and things mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. right? Where I think Steve either didn't care or he was just like, no, we, let, let people give on their own. We don't care, right? And not, and he didn't care so much about necessarily being a good corporate citizen. I think that that's think true for whatever reason. Right? Yeah, I, I, I don't know the reason, you know, psychologically why he he had that attitude, but it, it seems to me like he had that attitude in a way that Tim Cook doesn't. He wants to be seen as being, and Apple being seen as being a positive force in the world in a lot of different ways. I will say that there was a pragmatic streak in Steve, and so. When you say, I don't know if this would have happened with Steve around, I will say that some of this in terms of the politics and trying to get the money back, I could see Steve playing games about that stuff because I think that's the kind of stuff that as a pragmatist, he would have realized we need to do this politically. It might, yeah. In fact, it might not have been cloaked in we're making well, the world a better place as much as I'm, it is. I think that's kind of more what I mean is that like yeah. – it would have been a letter on Apple.com explaining everything and him kind of saying, screw you, we're doing it this way. Thoughts on taxes. To, yeah, you know, <laughs> like as opposed to these games that Tim plays and he plays the games that a big CEO will play, right? Like it, it feels like it's a lot more, I can't think of a better phrase and this makes it sound worse, but like a lot more cloak and daggery. Like it's like we're doing this one thing, but we're hiding it under another thing. Like this job creation page, right? It's all like saying a thing, but really you're doing this other thing. Yep. And and 
again, it's like this is I I'm not attempting to criticize Tim Cook because he is doing what he should be doing. This is what the CEO of the largest company on the planet should be doing. You should play the game this way right. because this is the way you play if you want to get what you want. Right? He would probably prefer to play a different game, but this is the game. Yeah, I, honestly, the um that how, that job creation page. And to a certain extent, the environmental page too, um, but the job creation page especially, I roll my eyes at it a bit because I feel like it's greenwashing. Uh, the 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 idea that you are you are the statistics that they are including in that they should not include in that. I think for people who don't for people who don't know what greenwashing is, greenwashing is doing things like if you're an oil company, you spend a million dollars on a uh, an environmental program that transforms your, you know, plastics made from your petroleum output into uh, pillows or something like that or you plant a, a forest in order to that's going to absorb CO2 and put out oxygen and makes everybody happy. And and everybody's like, "Wow, look, giant oil company cares about the environment." But they spend a million dollars on that and meanwhile they're spending billions and billions of dollars on all of this other things and it's a drop in a bucket to them and the reason they're doing it is not to change the world but to tell the story they pay for the the program so that they can do an ad that shows you how great they are while in order to take your eyes off of this other thing that you might not like that they're doing that's greenwashing it's using these using these heartwarming stories as a big corporation to sort of move your eyes away and i always thought that about the jobs page that it was it was initially like no 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 don't look at the chinese factories look over here at the happy app developers and the Apple Store employees. That's what we want you to focus on. Mm-hmm. And now you've got that added political element. And you're absolutely right. They are a huge company. This is the way the game is played. All, I think, as people who use their products, we have two things. One, we want the products to be good. And two, we want to feel, we want to not feel bad about the company we buy the products from. And it's a complicated feeling. And everybody's got personal relationships with different companies. They, people will do personal boycotts of companies that they don't like because they heard their CEO said a thing and it's bad. And that's fair. Uh, you can do that. Although if you take that to an extreme, you will run out of products to use. I will tell you, you will run out of products. If everybody has to vote the same way you do and believe yeah. the, the same religion that you do and all of those things, you will run out of products. Products because yeah, every, like don't, don't try and look at how your food is made. Every company contains masses. Everybody contains people with lots of different philosophies. I think as a CEO of a big company like Apple, Tim Cook is trying to navigate and say, look, we've got some principles that we follow. But you could very easily point to like uh, China and say Google doesn't want to participate in China to a, a large degree because of all the censorship of information. And Apple will never worry about that because Apple makes too much money in China. And that's a place where Apple has decided as Tim Cook said, well, we'll disagree, but you still have to work with them. And I think I think that's always a challenge because what you don't want to be perceived as is a company that is uh, that is evil and is working with evil people on evil things. So, but but you also as a as a corporate executive, you need to not ignore big markets where your company can grow and have profit. And so it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. And I think Tim Cook is trying very hard to navigate it and doing a pretty good job. But I will say that by talking about your corporate principles, 
you do open yourself up to criticism for not living up to them. And if you act as if you don't have any corporate principles, people will complain, but they're not going to call you on hypocrisy. And that's the dangerous game that you play when you walk down this path. But that's what that, it's Apple. It feels very Apple-y to do this. So I feel like it's, you know, Tim Cook is not changing Apple into something else. I think by having these beliefs and, 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 uh, getting them out there, it, it, it sort of fits with their, their brand. And so. It's not. It's a tough job. I wouldn't want it. No. And as I say, I think he does a great job. I just think it's different. You know. Yeah. Certainly. Certainly. I think. I, I think there's lots of stuff Steve just didn't care about. I think Steve Jobs never wanted to be the CEO of the biggest company. I think. In fact, I'll go further. I think if Steve had had not had a, a recurrence of his cancer, I think that it would have only been a matter of a few years. If, if it wasn't already happening, that Tim would be de facto CEO in the sense, perhaps just remaining COO. But I, I suspect at some point he might have even become CEO and Steve would have been, as he was right at the end of his life, the chairman of the board and basically like working with Johnny Ive on products. Because ultimately, Steve Jobs was a product guy. He's a product guy. Mm-hmm. He, he never wanted to be the CEO of the largest market cap company in the, in the world. Not, not, not his thing. Like corporate stuff, totally not his thing. Yep. So at some point, if he had lived, I think push would have come to shove and he'd be like, I don't want this crap, Tim, you do it. <laughs> he, yeah, Tim probably would have become CEO and then Jobs, you know, would, they would have created like CPO or something for him. Well, he would, have been, he would have been chairman of the board yep. and chief, of chief creative officer yeah. or product yeah. officer or mm-hmm. something working with Johnny on product strategy. You're probably that, right, right, Jason. I think you're right. Because, I mean, you could see it anyway, right? That, like, as time went on, illness or no illness, Cook was doing more than a COO does. Sure. I mean, right? he was he was doing the he was doing all the jobs of a CEO that Steve Jobs wasn't interested in, right? Yeah. I, I think that's probably accurate, which is why he was a logical person to step in on on leave of absence stuff. It was why he was always on the conference calls. He was ready. Yeah, I mean, he did all the all those financial calls that that Tim Tim is on. Tim was always on those calls. Like it was rare when Steve would appear on the financial analyst calls. Tim would appear on them, and he still appears as CEO because that's part of the job he was always doing. That's honestly, right? Jobs was not the CEO. Like, what we think of as a CEO now has been molded by Steve Jobs. There was a time when he was the CEO in the turnaround because he needed to be, because he had a vision for what Mm -hmm. the company was. But once he got the company up and running... You know, and, and it got, it started to get big. Big companies are different from little companies that are about to go out of business if you don't save them. They do require sort of different management. And yeah, in the end, would Steve Jobs, would, would that not have been a waste of his time? I'm sure he felt it was already a waste of his time, which is probably why Tim Cook did all of that, you know, all that work because Steve didn't want to do it. I don't think that the CEO of a company historically has been that closely connected to the creation of the products. Like, I don't think that historically well, a CEO has been your company spokesperson. You had company spokespeople. If you're small and you're a startup, you are, yeah. right? And, and that's when Steve came back to Apple, that's what he was. But you're right. In the long run, Apple was becoming something very different. And if we take Steve's illness and death out of the equation and try to imagine, like, what would a person like Steve Jobs do when Apple changed and grew, I think he would gravitate toward the areas that were that were him at his best as the chief spokesman, as the figurehead, and as the product guiding star, right? And not all this other 
all this other junk that <laughs> Tim do this, Tim, come on, help me out here, Tim. So I think that's what happened. And, and, uh, and it would have continued if, if Steve had lived, I think it would have continued down that path. Yeah. Just being an observer of Apple in 2017 is very different. You, you look and think at things totally different. that you didn't do before. Like even back from when I started, right in 2010, looking at this stuff seriously and, and, and uh, as an amateur, Here's the, way to, here's the way to think of it. 20 years ago, Steve came back. 10 years ago, the iPhone came out. Yep. So even Apple of 10 years ago was not anything like it is now. It was a very successful music company at that mm-hmm. point, really, you know. And 20 years ago, it was a company that was falling apart and in its death throes and needed to be completely rebooted. So this is today's Apple very different than even 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago when Steve came back. So there you go. It's uh, it's different, very different world. We talk about politics yeah. on the show now. <laughs> we, yeah, I, that yeah. went in a direction I wasn't expecting, but I thought it was interesting. I just, you know, whenever I see these things, I just can't help myself. And, and, and I really don't mean it as a criticism when I say, like, what would Steve have done in the way that, like, most people do when they invoke that phrase. No, it's, it's just more, an observation that, that it seems like this would be a, a different person would have a different yep. take on this kind of thing. And it's, as I say, and try to really underscore... By invoking that phrase, I don't th- mean and don't even think that Tim is doing it wrong or, right. or like that that different is bad because honestly, I think so many things about this company are so much better under him. Um, a lot of the political stance that they take are done with, with I think, a lot more grace um, and, and then ultimately more impact. So, yeah, but but it's it's just I think it's interesting to just see the, the difference of, between the company between now and then. Oh, for sure. The show is brought to you by Encapsula, the multifunction content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys whilst always ensuring high availability. Over 100,000 organizations trust Encapsula every day, from huge Fortune 500 companies to one-person websites. It doesn't matter who you are, they can help protect you. You go to Encapsula's website and you can see the types of companies that use Encapsula, and you are going to know a bunch of the ones on that list. This is because they have all of the resources that you're ever going to need, that anybody's ever going to need to help websites load quickly, especially if something bad is happening. They have a 24-7 operations team and they have the best service level agreement in the business with personal account management. You don't have to worry if something bad happens to your website, if it's getting attacked or anything, because Encapsula have got you covered. You're going to be well protected and your site will be lightning fast. As a listener of this show, you can get a whole month of service for free. Just go to Encapsula.com upgrade that's i-n-c-a-p-s-u-l-a dot com slash upgrade this is where you can find out more about encapsula service and claim your free month thank you so much to encapsula for their support of this show and relay fm ask upgrade time so as always you can send us your questions with hashtag ask upgrade for us to talk about at the end of the show it could be your what you want our thoughts about things they can be technical support at times we will do everything and everything that we can Especially purchasing decisions to help. Oh yes, to help answer. No pressure. Your ask no pressure. Upgrade. Vic has wrote in to say regarding stickers. Does Mike put them on his luggage? I can't believe I didn't mention this. Um, I don't cover my luggage in stickers, but I do put stickers on my luggage. And everyone should do this, especially yes. with luggage, because it's so hard to find your bag. <laughs> I put stickers on my luggage, and I think I came out very clearly as being relatively anti-sticker last time. I 
put stickers on my luggage. When I got my away suitcase, not a sponsor this week, uh, the, the first thing I did was put stickers on them. I have a, an incomparable Zeppelin on the front mm-hmm. and on the bottom, hiding, lurking, is Skeletor. And that way, when it comes off the, the baggage claim, even if there's a bunch of away suitcases, which there probably will be, who, who are we kidding, I will be able to find mine. Because it's got my stickers on them, and it could only be me. So yeah, put put mm-hmm. identifying marks on your luggage for Pete's sake. You got to yep. do that. You don't want somebody else taking your bag. In my away case is black, and I forgot to put a sticker on it on my first trip. It was a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> also, your away case is green. It's a very, very, very dark green. Yeah, it looks black though, right? Like, I know. No, well, we just bought another one, and and Lauren was like, "Why didn't you get the green?" And I said. I said, it's like black, it's black. And she says, oh, like the one we've got. And I said, no, this one is blue. <laughs> can you tell though, Jason? I can. Can you tell? You can? I can. So we got a red one instead. So yeah, I uh, ended up putting a big pineapple pepperoni sticker. Yeah, there we go. Because yep. we had those made Stickers. Got to put, put them on your, yeah. Or something, right? Like uh, we had a bag that we had. Uh, tie a ribbon around it. We had a little cat collar. That we yeah. got actually from when our dog, our, our first dog was a puppy. She came with this little cat collar, little pink cat collar, and we just run. tied that on there. And well, she was so little that dog collars <laughs> didn't fit her, so they had a little cat collar. Oh. Um, and so that stayed on that. I, I think it's still on that suitcase. So you can see there's this little pink thing hanging down, and you're like, aha, that's ours. So something identifying characteristic on your generic bag, please. Stickers are great, though. Perfect. This is a good question here from Adam. I'll shortly be giving my first conference talk. Any tips? Oh, man. Yep. Big deal. Congratulations, Adam. Yeah. It's a huge deal. Um, so my, I've only, I've only done like one serious conference talk, um, which was uh, at Release Notes a couple of years ago, which is a great conference. Um, I'm looking forward to attending again later on this year. My advice basically is rehearse past the point that you think you need to. So rehearse your talk to the point where you, you feel like you know it all and then keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and also, this uh, was not advice that I knew until I was told to do it and then forced to do it, is to rehearse your talk in front of one person in a room and film yourself doing it. Because this adds two times the pressure because <laughs> you will definitely... It's way harder to talk in front of one person when that one person is just looking at you, right? And you, The only person in the room, I find it harder anyway. And the filming of yourself means that your mistakes will be captured forever and you can go back and watch it cringingly. Uh, I, I rehearsed my talk in front of Gray and it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life because he just sat there stone-faced watching me. So... Uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but do it in front of uh, <laughs> do your talk in front of one person and film yourself. All right, no, Greg, got it, got it. Yeah, and I would uh, I would throw in those are those, that's great advice. I would uh, recommend uh, in terms of building the presentation, um, think about I'd say I'd say from the start, you know, think about an outline. I would say in terms of building slides, if you're going to do slides, just keep in mind keep the words on the slides to a minimum because there's nothing worse than a presentation where you read you read slide bullet points don't do it or that don't people do it. will be reading instead of listening to you exactly so if you if you must use slides try to use images try to use single words try to use short bits of punctuation don't put up big bullet points if you can help it because 
it's bad on two levels because of your audience paying attention to the bullet points and not listening to you and because you read your bullet points and that's no good. If you use the presenter's notes and you can do that, there are great, like you can use an iPad or a laptop or even a phone to do your presentation and, and leave yourself presenter's notes in Keynote or PowerPoint or wherever. Um, I find that valuable. Sometimes I will write what I want to say word for word. Other times I will just bullet point myself and then I can read from my bullet points and and uh, mm-hmm. not sound scripted, which is even better if you can do that, especially if you're somebody who sounds really scripted when you read wor- when you read a sentence. When it starts reading like this, because you are reading the sentence, right, maybe go to bullet points so that you have to phrase them naturally. But don't put them on the slides, please. I beg you, don't do it. That's a, a major... Uh, no good kind of thing. And the other thing I'd throw in is if you can rehearse or even just plug in and stand there in the place where you're going to give the presentation in advance, yep. like a tech rehearsal, yep. do do to. that because you will find mistakes. You will find mm-hmm. that they've got your setup wrong and you can get them to fix it if it's, a, if it's a couple hours before instead of five minutes before. And it gets you comfortable with the room. You realize how you're entering and where you're standing and it won't be a surprise when you get up there to actually give the talk in front of a full room, because that's not a time you want to be surprised. So that's my advice. Okay, um, I have more now. Uh, right. From a technical perspective, have multiple versions of your presentation. Have the keynote file or the PowerPoint that you want to give, but then also have a version a P- where everything PDF. is a PDF. Yep. Because the computer that you're operating on will probably not be your own, and they may not yep. have the fonts that you need. So if you and use special fonts, include those files. Like you know, everything you can put on a thumb drive. Let's follow that up by saying, if you've got multiple devices with you, put a copy of your presentation on all of them. Yes. And yep. on a thumb drive that you and bring with Dropbox, you. And on Dropbox and on iCloud. Everywhere. Yes. Everything, everywhere, all the time. Everywhere. And then you'll be safe because mm-hmm. we have all had that. Happen. The one thing you don't want to be worrying about is where it is. We have a PC here with no fonts and, uh, yeah. Oh, well. We don't have your adapter for your, your MacBook or your iPad. Exactly. Everywhere. Eli asked, do you think that at some point Apple could merge the Mini and Pro lines and making it a configurable product across the board from entry level all the way up to Pro? No, I don't. The price would be strange, right? I think that's a te- well. There's a technical reason too, because you've got to build this base system, and it, the pro features. If you build all the pro features in, the speed of the of the the memory and the bus and all that, mm. you're using reference probably reference stuff from uh, Intel. It's like. You could build a product that could scale, but I feel like it would be way too expensive for the low end at that yeah. point because you have to build in all the things, even if it's just the enclosure. Like you have to build in the ventilation and all that for all of this stuff that the the low end's not gonna not gonna use. So I don't think there's a one size fits all product here. I think they can make a tower with some range that was sort of like mid range to high end Mac Pro, like they but used not to do low range to high. But end. but a Mac Mini, no. In fact, it's funny that this came up because I was talking to uh, to Russell from the Material Podcast. And who's going to be in uh, in uh, Mountain View for Google I.O. this week? I'm hoping to have him on download, in fact. Um, and he bought an Intel NUC, those little uh, – it's like a like a Apple TV-sized PC. It's like a minimum viable computer. Yeah, exactly right. And, um, and he bought it with Windows on it, although it turns out <laughs> – turns out you can run – you can – that can be a Hackintosh. You can actually run OS X on it, which is just crazy. Um, and I was thinking – you know, I wonder if that is going to be the next Mac Mini. I wonder if Apple would do that, which is just like, you know what? Because Apple likes to be cool and likes to be cutting edge. And they could probably take that reference f- system 
from Intel of that little teeny tiny thing and say, here it is. It's SSD and a little board and an i5 processor and it's the new Mac Mini and it's the size of the old Apple TV The, the that's even shorter. Like it's super tiny and it's like, this is a Mac. You can plug it in, run it. Good luck. I think that might be more of a future direction for the Mac Mini is even more minimal. Like here it is. It's a Mac you can stick in your pocket. If you yeah, want make to. it cool again, exactly right. Because yeah. that that would be that would be great. Because I looked at the Intel NUC thing and I was like, "Wow, I, I almost want to buy one of those and turn it into a Mac Mini, just because it would be so cool to do that." So yeah, I'm 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 intrigued. That would be fun. Even just take what they've built, put a new case around it, you know, <laughs> put it in a new box and sell it. Be great. Stephen yep. asked, "I have Amazon Prime, but stopped watching video after a show went from free to paid." What is your draw to Amazon Prime or makes it different from Netflix? Stopped after a show went from free to paid. Amazon has two services. They have Prime Video, which is free, and then they've got things that they sell. So they're both Netflix and, and iTunes at the same time. So this is no different. So it's, the way it's phrased, it's like, oh, they really they really screwed with me because it was free, and then they charged, tried to charge me for it. It's like this is no different than Amazon or than Netflix dropping shows. Your, it went off the free service. So think of Prime right, Video right. as separate from Amazon Video. Yeah. And I know that's confusing and they like to put them together, but it's no different than Netflix. Netflix drops shows off. Hulu drops shows off. Everybody out there drops shows from time to time as their contracts expire. Okay. Um, for, for me, though, like I don't care about the service that I'm using. I care about the content that's on it. Right. Totally. So, like, I don't care if it's Amazon or Netflix. Like, both of the apps are different. They are, like, you know, Adina goes crazy for the iPad version of uh, the Prime because it has the pause button right in the middle. You just tap the middle of the screen. She loves that. Like, it drives her crazy. Every other application, like the Netflix app or the iTunes app or whatever, she hates it because you have to, like, tap it and then tap at the bottom where, like, Amazon built their own control. And all you do is just, you just tap in the middle of the screen at any point and it pauses. She loves it. I don't know if you if anybody knows that that's the thing that it has, but it's it's brilliant. It is really really cool. It's the way that all video pausing should work. Anywho, but most on the most case, it's not important. It's about where the content is. So right now we're rewatching Seinfeld. The only place that I can get that is on Amazon Prime. You can't even buy it in the UK. Like iTunes <laughs> doesn't have Seinfeld. Like up until it, it went on Amazon Prime, like uh, earlier this year, I think you couldn't get it anywhere at all streaming or buying it like it was dvd or nothing yeah. so we're watching seinfeld on it. We, we watched parks and rec on it recently like there's just stuff on these services that isn't anywhere else so i sign up because it's where the content is you were talking about this on download right about like the cable the cord cutting stuff yeah. right like it's just wherever the services are and you end up paying for all of them it's not about the service itself Right, you're you're following the content, and the services hate to hear that because again, we live in a world of this of disintermediation where everybody, every company wants to add unique value, and like you have to buy it from them. But in reality, it, it does come down to the content. Like Netflix, if everything, if you love, 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 love Netflix, and then one day all the content that was on Netflix was on Amazon Prime, and there was only garbage on Netflix. You would not keep watching Netflix because it's Netflix, right? You would you would be like, oh, it's only garbage here. Wait, all the shows that I like are on Amazon Prime? And you would switch. You would switch. There's no brand loyalty to Netflix beyond the content that they provide. You're loyal because they provide good content, good enough to keep it. But that would go away if the content uh, went away. So in the end, yeah, you're right. Content is king, as they say. Content is king. And finally today, Craig asked, what is your favorite Apple event of the year, attending or otherwise? 
So for me, it's WWDC because I'm in town um, and I get to see everyone and take part in some of the fringe events and put on some events ourselves, which I really enjoy. But it's also like just from an event perspective, um, it's the most fun for me because it shows the future of all of the platforms. Like it almost feels like the start of Apple's year, right? It's like everything changes from WWDC onwards. We find out things in advance before they're available, which is fun because it's like one of the only places that you do that stuff of Apple. Plus, the most surprises are there because it's software and the software can be more surprising. Every other Apple event, we know basically everything beforehand, right? Like if these hardware things get shown off at WWC, we we're talking about early. Well, that's ruined now because it's hardware, but software, they can still surprise us like they can surprise us with Swift. Right, like they can surprise yep. us with other software-related stuff. That stuff you that's never still inside known. Cupertino is yep. a lot harder to uh, to leak. So. Because sometimes it's stuff that like not even everyone inside of Cupertino knows about, exactly. like Swift. Right? I, so you know, um, I agree. I have the same answer, and it's because this is the only event that is given many months run up and people can travel and it happens for a week and there's ancillary events around it and so it's it is not just because all the uh, these other events are media events right i drive down somewhere early in the morning and i go to an event and then i drive home or i rushed somewhere and i i write and record a podcast and spend the whole evening writing and get up the next morning and do more writing and and podcasting and all of that but it's just it's just like a, a a job thing right it's it's i'll see people like in the line when we're drinking tea and coffee and having pastries and things beforehand but then you know we all immediately yeah. as soon as the, the, they open the doors we go in and do our jobs and i don't <laughs> see those people anywhere i'll wave at john gruber or you know anybody like it's if like, i hey, came to town i'd be super bored yeah because no one would be there everyone would leave exactly right you'd say hi you'd be like hey uh, I can't go in. <laughs> and then we'd be like, hey, it's good to see you. Bye. And then you wouldn't see us ever again. Right? WWDC is not like that. So <laughs> ever because again? Oh, no. Ever <laughs> again. Yeah. That's right. You'd never see us. We, we vanish. We go into oh, a, a parallel universe. So this is my way of saying, like, Macworld Expo back in the day was great because it was the same thing. It was a week-long festival of stuff that people hung out and talked and all that. And it wasn't just about the keynote. I guess Macworld was better because people could go to the keynote if they wanted to well theoretically except that the lines were incredibly long but wwdc that's the answer i mean yeah that's the that is i wrote a whole thing for i'm about this that is the event of the year for apple stuff and it and apple has now kind of embraced the fact that there will be all these side events around it and they're really creating like a week-long apple fest that's happening in san jose in three weeks so yeah looking forward Yes, and it is only just a few weeks away. So expect Oof. the coverage to heat up. We'll have one more oh, yes. regular episode next week. And then we would be doing the draft picks the week yep. after. And then we will be doing our reporting from in, San Jose. In person. In person. Again. I hope you can use your laptop on the flight over. Please don't talk to me about this, Jason. <laughs> the anxiety <laughs> I have over this is off the chart. I don't want to talk about it. We're not talking about it. <sighs> And when it happens, we won't talk about it either because I'm just going to be too mad. Yeah. Um, so we it's just a family to, show. Yeah. I can't. Too much politics today already, and we didn't even really talk about politics. Like, if you yeah, want to yep. hear me go off, tell you what, if you see me in San Francisco and this has happened, or it looks like it's going to happen, or San Jose, because if you see me in San Francisco, I got lost. You've got, yeah. Uh, you can ask me about this, and I'll tell you. 
but I'm not talking about it on the show. Uh, you want to find our show notes for this week? Relay.fm slash upgrade slash 141. I would like to point our listeners to two new Relay FM shows because Can't Stop, Won't Stop. We have uh, Roboism and Originality. So they're two technologically adjacent shows um, on Roboism, Savannah and Alex. So it's Savannah Million and Alex Cox talk about robots and technology and how uh, robots and AI are affecting our lives today, which is an interesting way of looking at things. I think robots are becoming more and more prevalent throughout our lives. And on Originality, Lean Sims and Kay Tempest Bradford talk about creativity and how we are creative in our lives. And they talk about themselves and they have interviews and they have a really interesting interview production style that I think you might get quite a kick out of. So you can go check them out at relay.fm slash originality and at relay.fm slash roboism. If you want to find Jason online, he's over at sixcolors.com and he is at jsnell on Twitter. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Don't forget to listen to Download later on this week. Um, Google I.O. So you, you've got your yeah. first big keynote to cover, Jason. I hope you're Woo. ready. What, you, Microsoft Build wasn't big enough for you? Uh, not really, I'm afraid. No, it wasn't I was going to say, yeah. I, you know, I, ex- I personally expect, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not producer Stephen Hackett, but I will be surprised if, uh, if I.O. was constrained to just one of your stories. Ah, yeah, I right. think you're probably right. And and uh, lot as, of love to Microsoft, but you know, Microsoft split it, right? They split it in half. Honestly, they did a they did a product event and then they build. And yeah, really and they did they two build. They together. did two days of build keynotes too, so they split it in thirds. Oh my gosh! Uh, so yeah, you can you can go and uh, go and check all that out. That's going to be fun to listen to this week. I'm excited about it. So uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Thanks again to our sponsors, the fine folk over at Encapsular, Squarespace, and FreshBooks. And we'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye from Seattle. <laughs>